Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on February 2nd, Communion Sunday, 2014. Today's message is The Long and Trusting Road by Dr. Lyle Schwag, based on Psalm chapter 13. And would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, I, I pray with thanksgiving for this time and for this moment. Lord, this is a holy place. Oh, we realize that you inhabit the heavens and the earth. There is no place uh, where you are not present. And yet, Lord, there is something about your presence in this place that makes it very special. For here it is, Lord, that we do the transaction of heart and soul. It is here, Lord, where you iron out the wrinkles of our lives. It is here, Lord, where you whisper words of encouragement in, in a very special way. And, Lord, even as we prepare for the Lord's table, it is here, Lord, that we expect to meet with you. And so, Lord, with that, that heart of expectance, we are open to you. Lord, speak to us by your Spirit. Move in us by your Spirit and strengthen us, Lord, by your Spirit for your purposes and to the glory of your name. This we pray in the powerful and the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. This morning, I'd like to begin by telling you about a friend of mine, a very dear, dear friend uh, in the first church that I pastored when I was in Chicago, Illinois. His name was Don, and he was a retired Master Chief Petty Officer in the Navy. And maybe because of that, he was probably the only person I ever met who consistently called me Sir, which made me feel so, so very good. When I first arrived at the church, he suffered a tremendous stroke. It had only been about two or three weeks that I had been at the church when I got a call in the middle of the night saying that Dom was in the hospital, the family was there, he was not expected to live through the night. Was it possible for me to, to come? I came to the hospital that night, and I still remember in the darkness of the night, uh, the family gathered around the table. The doctors saying at that point in time that he would not survive but if we wanted to, we could pray with him, and so we prayed. And he survived. And uh, after a week, the doctors decided to change their minds. Uh, they, 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 they said, well, he'll survive, but he'll never talk again. And so we prayed. And two weeks later, he regained his speech. Then the doctor said, well, okay, 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 he's alive and he's talking, but he'll never walk again, and so we prayed. And uh, about a month later, he was able to leave his bed under his own power. And the doctor said, okay, well, he'll never be able to return to work or function effectively again. And it was just a matter of a couple of months after that, he returned to his desk at the local bank and continued to work. Now, I, I know that sounds like one of those amazing stories of miracles all along the way, except for one thing, except for just one thing. As he recovered, he recovered as a broken man. You see, his stroke left him with an extreme affliction that I have a hard time even imagining today. You could take a pencil and you could draw a line down the middle of his body, and he was left with such neurological damage that, uh, that, that the brain was signaling that the left-hand side of his body was on fire and in contact with the flames. Can you imagine that sort of pain? 
It was as if you could draw that line down the middle. His right side was fine, but his left side just horrifying and on, on fire. And for the 10 years that I was his pastor, I watched him go through just an endless series of remedies. Desperate search. Pain clinics, blocking surgeries, drug therapies, acupuncture, some of which provided momentary relief, but none of which really worked. And I saw him struggle through that deluge of advice that you often get when you are in trouble or in pain, of well-meaning people who would come, and each having their own folk remedy, uh, none of which really worked, and some just suggesting it was an issue of sin. And as I watched, I saw how all of that seemed to add to his pain. And so we would meet for prayer. In fact, weekly, it was a regular appointment that we had. And I remember going to the Randhurst Mall in Prospect Heights, Illinois, for coffee every week with Don. And we would talk and we would read the Bible together and we would pray. And during that period of time for those 10 years, out of all the portions of the Bible, we'd mostly go to his favorite collection, which were the Psalms. And in that, his even more favorite collection, the Psalms of Lament. In all, one-third of the Psalms could be identified as Psalms of Lament. Lament being a harsh word, meaning a cry of pain or sorrow or grief, and you hear that, 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 that voice throughout the Psalms, one-third of them. But not only the song, but the, the, the sound of the pain, but also there's something more. It starts with a dark sound of complaint, but they all answer, uh, end with an answer and a note of assurance. What's in the middle between the two, the sound of pain and the word of assurance, makes all the difference, really. Now, our psalm this morning is one such psalm. As I remember it, uh, was a favorite for Don, maybe because it was only six verses long and it was a lot easier for us to memorize together. <laughs> it was a lot easier than going to Psalm 119 and what are the 150-some verses to memorize, so it was just six. We would memorize and we would repeat together periodically. So I'm going to ask you to turn with me to that Psalm, Psalm 13. And there you will find, just in the first words, that voice of pain. Oh, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O oh Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I want to make note of a couple things right away. First, in that psalm, you will note that there is no direct footnote that gives us any clue as to what was the source of the pain or distress. David's words here are really generic and are really not attached to any specific situation. And I really appreciate that. Because no one can ever read this one psalm and say, well, it only works for someone who has had that. This only works for someone who's had a stroke or someone who's lost his job. I mean, this belongs to somebody else. 
maybe David, but not me. Because after all, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrow. Well, that's partly true. That's partly true. Nobody does really know. But it doesn't really matter how many others have similar affliction. When you've got the pain, it's as if it has been invented just for you. I love the opening lines of the novel by Anna Karenina, uh, by Leo Tolstoy, entitled Anna Karenina. It begins this way with this line. It says, all happy families are alike, but each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. We share happiness, but, but there's something about pain and, and unhappiness that leaves us feeling somewhat isolated and unique. And the chances are that the things that affect you most deeply and weigh most heavily will be found, maybe even in your own home, and each in its own way. And you may be tempted to think that what you carry is so unique that whatever words others will say to you are really rendered meaningless. No, the way it's written, this psalm comes actually with such a generic purpose that it's almost like that warm blanket that the Bible intends to throw over all of our shoulders in order to comfort us and sustain us. And and no matter what's taking us to the edge... It's as, the word of, as if the word of God is there just for us. Now, there's a second thing I want you to note about this. While it's only six verses long, I've learned that the journey that takes you through those words really is not a matter of just however long it is, what is it, 45 seconds to read this thing, but often will take you weeks, months, and maybe years to successfully traverse. I don't want to ever give anybody the false impression that all you have to do is just read this psalm and then presto, changeo, you can take up your bed and walk. If anything, you need to take this psalm to heart and you will discover that there may be long pauses between the verses and prolonged moments where where you get your bearings and and, and, and you have to sort out the issues of your heart that allow you then to move forward into God's grace. But trust me, there is a path through this psalm that will end up leading you, leaving you in the hands of God, should you have the courage to take it. So look at Psalm 13 with me. It breaks down into three steps. If I was really clever and, uh, uh, and, 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 a, and a wise person, I would probably come up with an alliteration that would be able to kind of rhyme all the steps. But forgive me, I'll just state the very obvious as we go through the numbers here. One, two, and three. Step number one, verses one and two. And to that, I would just simply say, this is a matter of getting real. Get real. Listen as I read it again. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? So you note there, in these two verses, Four times that one phrase is repeated again, 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 and again. How long? How long? How long? How long? There is here that sense that is probably so familiar to, let's be honest, too many. 
You might call it that length of days, that feeling that whatever torment you has has no end. There's no length to it. How long? I don't know. And you can see a lot of painful ingredients that really then begin to swirl in that ending, ending cycle. You have loneliness right there at the very beginning. How long will you forget me? I am so lonely. It's as if God has forgotten me forever. You have then rejection. How long will your face be turned away? It's not only that I feel forgotten, but I almost feel as if God has forgotten my name and he isn't even looking at me and he doesn't even care. And then you have isolation. How long will I have to take counsel in my own soul as if I am all on my own in this? Rejection, loneliness, rejection, isolation, and then also humiliation. The added pain to that burden. How long will my enemies exalt over me? It's as if all my pride and self-esteem has been stripped away. And I stand naked before this world. Lonely. Rejected, isolated, humiliated. How long? And the feelings seem to cycle from one to the other in an endless stream. Loneliness, rejection, isolation, humiliation, and back again. You might look at this and wonder, so what's the step being made here, Lyle? That really helps. I don't get it. I mean, if you follow the cycle, it almost sounds like it's a staircase that only leads deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into pain. Well, there is one word that makes all the difference in this. I've only located two words at this point, how long, but you'll notice that the phrase that is repeated has two more words, actually. How long, O Lord? The moment comes to step outside of yourself and say something and realize that you are not just talking to yourself in this isolation, but that you have the opportunity to address yourself to the one who loved you and gave himself for you. So how long, O oh Lord? And in that, you are acknowledging the reality of your pain. Now, some of you may be familiar uh, with an excellent book that was written about a decade ago by Jim Collins called Good to Great. Are any of you familiar with Good to Great at all? It's one of the best business books that had, was written uh, in terms of leadership and in business. And in, in it, uh, Jim, uh, Jim Collins had done an extensive study, which was a comparison between companies that were simply operating at a level that was good and others that then jumped that to a level that was great, good to great, and those are the companies that excelled. And as he studied in those companies, he found that there were five distinguishing features that elevate corporate life from that level of good to great. And one of those, one of which is that to advance people, uh, they are, uh, that, that, that led to that, that leap, they were led by people who were willing to confront the cold, hard, brutal facts. It was one of the factors for great companies. And I would suggest to say that's one of the factors for a great life. That you are willing to face up to the cold, hard facts. And in this study, these people were not paralyzed by introspection or denial. They chose not to ignore reality, but they had the courage to face the facts and then to state the truth. And that's what you have here. Something which is honest to God, 
Some wonder about prayer. Should I pray when I'm angry? I might say something wrong. Should I pray when I'm angry, even if I'm angry with God? Listen, there have been moments when God and I have had words. <laughs> Minds will be honest. And what I've discovered out of those moments is that there is great comfort in the fact that that's exactly what God wants. He wants me to come to him to speak. And he's big enough to take my words and forgive me and then speak back. Consider the invitation that God makes. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, then, which transcends all understanding, is going to guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And it may be just as simple as that, that the very first step for you to do is to have words with God, honest, direct, even if you can't necessarily specify the problem. I mean, here, David doesn't even give any specific reasons. It's as if when he turns his face to the heavens and prays, it's as if everything hurts. He doesn't quite know where to start on his list. How long? But he's going to turn to God and have his words with God and not worry if they come, come out wrong or if God's feelings will be hurt. He is simply going to be the one to break the silence. That's step one. Get real. Which leads then to the second step, step two. Get close. It's a matter of perspective. Listen as I read then verses 3 and 4. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Do you see a change here in verse 3? In verse 1, it was just, O Lord, but now it's, O Lord, and what else? My God. Two more words are added to this prayer. How long, O Lord? Now it's my God. Something has happened. Who knows what it was? It could have been that David heard what he was saying and he saw it as self-pity. Maybe it was that he heard the name of the Lord coming from his own lips and that turned his heart around. Maybe it was a reminder that there was a relationship that allowed him to go beyond the word Lord and then take him one step closer with a reminder that this Lord was also his God, my God. Whatever it was, and maybe that's all it was, what you see is a softening of his heart there in verses 3 and 4. Instead of accepting a distance from the Lord, he adopts a different and a very learning spirit at this point. I love the words that are here. Consider me. Answer me. Enlighten me. You see those? And along the way, notice, he not only yields to God for understanding, but he also releases his fears and his enemies to God. You take him. You take him. It's a hands-off as he lays himself down. Fact is, there are some things that we will not be able to figure out on our own, and there are forces out there that are beyond our control, and so we must pray, it is in your hands, Heavenly Father. I like the way one preacher put it. Although it sounds like a cliche, our fervent petition is still the most effective way to face the day, no matter how hard it may be. And maybe the words of the old Christian hymn are wiser than we ever knew. 
Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Come on with me. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Everything. 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 Get real. Get close. And then one more step. Third step, get going. Listen to verses 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Just a few comments. First is the one word that I love in the Bible probably more than any other word. It's just three letters in the English. B-U-T, but. But. Just when everything seems to be settled, doom is sure, there is no escape, options have run out, God then enters the scene, and a whole new door opens, and, and had there been no God, there would have been no hope, but God is there. It's all through the Bible, the, that word but, and, and it's all through our lives, the word but. And here, what opens the door is the key that links verses 3 and 4 together with verse 5. But I have trusted. That's what he's been doing in the prayer. He has been trusting, trusting, trusting. And having trusted, David then looks into the future now with a sense of resolve and determination in his voice. You see it in that change of voice from the past tense, I have, now to the future tense, I will. You see that there? I will rejoice. I will sing. Now there's something very special about this. Notice he says, my heart will rejoice. It's almost as if he is now in a position to take portions of his very being out and then issue them orders that are to be obeyed. Listen up, heart. You are going to rejoice now. Isn't that great? That's the type of self-talk Christians need to have. There are times when in obedience to God's claim in your life, you need to take charge of your heart. Heart, rejoice. Mouth, sing. Let's do this thing. And then life begins to unfold. Trust me, I've seen it work. Back to my buddy Don, the master chief petty officer. In the 10 years I was his pastor, I, I, I was with him as he went through very, very dark, dark moments. Uh, times when he was ready to surrender and when he was ready to give up. And to be honest, we had to cycle through that psalm again and again and again and again, and he had to get, in fact, command charge of his heart again and again and again. But in those years, I was privileged to marry off two of his three kids. And then I was able to walk with, uh, watch with joy uh, as he sang praise to God at the weddings and then through the marriages, then begin to welcome grandchildren. He welcomed seven grandkids into his home, was able to bounce them on his knee, hit his right knee. And now... He was able to watch his third child graduate with honors from Northwestern University, became a very successful actor. 
And just about, I think, five or six summers ago, I got a very special note. Don was with a group that were heading out on an Alaska cruise, and they were going to be heading out from Vancouver, British Columbia. He wondered if he might have a moment with me, and so we set up a breakfast date before they, they cast off, and it was a thrill to see him. He was still in pain. But as he brought me up to speed with all of the years, the family, the children, his marriage, his life, it was one of those moments where the tears began to well, even as he spoke, more and more. And then he looked at me and he said, Lyle, he said, I guess I just wanted to look you in the eye and say, God is so good. And we, we sat there and he cried and we prayed and that, that phrase, we just began to hum together. And maybe you can sing it with me. God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. He cares for me. He cares for me. He cares for me. He cares for me. He's so good to me. I love him so. I love him so. I love him so. I love him so. He's so good to me. And at last I praise his name. I praise his name. I praise his name. I praise his name. He's so good to me. O oh Lord, our Lord, my Lord, together we turn to you. And with all the confidence we have in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, renew our spirits and draw our hearts close to yourself so that our lives might not be lived as a burden, but as a delight. And give us such love for you that would sweeten our obedience to sustain us in our time of trial. And help us that we may continue to serve you with a childlike spirit for we are your children, and we delight in you, and we trust in you, and we rejoice in all that would honor you. This we pray in the wonderful name, the powerful name, the gentle name of the one who loved us and gave himself for us, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. Amen.